I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. Who is this lady who says recording in progress? Karen. Wow. She's awesome. Recording in progress. <laughs> All right. So here we are. Recording in progress. Recording in progress. Your door is a... Oh, that was way better than my version. Your door is a jar. Recording in progress. Hi, Chris. Hi, Jesse. Hi, Dennis. can't believe a whole week has <laughs> Hi, gone Jesse. by. I Hi, Dennis. Your beard looks just as it good as like it, it was did. just yesterday. I know. So we've been talking about real presence, huh? This is like Trentine stuff, right? Believe it or anathema sit. Believe uh, this or you are bloody yeah. heretic. I got to tell you, listeners out there, I, it's all I can do to keep Dennis from uh, talking about the uh, podcast devoted to the Council of Trent. He is so ready for the Council of Trent. On the well, who isn't ready for the Council of Trent? Yeah. Good point. Gosh. Good point. Well, it's, it's just so fun. I mean, listen to this. So this is like by way of foretaste, right? This holy, sacred, ecumenical council might set forth the true and ancient doctrine, a remedy to all the heresies and grievous troubles with which the Church of God is now miserably agitated. It might pluck up by the roots those tears of execrable errors and schism in our calamitous times. I think it's pronounced schism. No, it's not. Well, it's either one, actually. You're going to be in the anathema seat, Jesse, if you're not uh, careful. I mean, we're so nice now, right? Wait, I don't know if I should be insulted by that. What did you say? <laughs> so, how, Dennis, at the end of those uh, uh, Tridentine uh, things, you know, if so-and-so does not believe this, let them be anathema. Anathema. Or in Latin, it's anathema seat. And we used to do this thing, actually, at, uh, at <laughs> what I would teach uh, uh, at Mundelein for theology. Uh, and I remember being in school, too, is if you said something heretical, in class, you'd have to sit in the anathema seat because you've said Whoa, something bad. Gosh, so anyway, wow. yeah. So, so be careful. Can't Otherwise, do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Just, or what's the old thing? You're supposed to let, name your dog anathema and then tell him to sit, right? So that's oh, another that's one. Good. Yeah. All right, uh, but you know, we're you know the trend was a long time ago, right? What 1550s, 1560s? That's a long time. 1545 to 1563. Yeah, there you go. So that's a long time, right? 1563, did you say? Yeah, 400 years exactly to... Yeah, to the Vatican Council, right? So they're like trying to fight all their problems with uh, different theologies of the Eucharist and other things and Reformation and Protestant Reformation. And then finally they're like, hey, you know what? We got some new ideas. We're not just clamping down the the pressure cooker on believe this or else. We have some ideas that are kind of amazing. You know, one of them is... Participation in the mystical body, Eucharist as action and not a thing alone, and things like that. And so, uh, community language starts coming up, uh, yeah. and participation, and this feeling welcome, and all are welcome. Turn to your left, turn to your right, say hello. Never envisioned by the the Roman Church. <laughs> Anathema sit. Yeah, somehow Anathema this sit forms down. community. <laughs> but there's this idea, right, that the Eucharist isn't just. The, the thing, glorious as it is, confected by the priest. But the, the word means thanksgiving. That's an action. It's a ritual. It's a liturgy. And people stopped calling it mass and started calling it liturgy or stopped, started, I'm going to Eucharist instead of going to mass for various reasons. 
And so I think there are some insights that the 20th century gave us and the 19th century gave us that are worth knowing, right? Communion with Christ and the church, Eucharist as an ecclesial act. Maybe we'll dig up that uh, article from, I don't know, season four or three or something by, um, I think it was Boyer, the Eucharist as ecclesial act and not just the action of the priest. So this is where we are in our document from the U.S. bishops called, again, the mystery of the Eucharist. What does mystery mean, by the way? The mystery machine. Hey, that's thought from Scooby-Doo, right? The mystery machine. It's like yeah. a portable church. That's what you could call it. Do you remember uh, Father Quinn's? Uh, yeah, the Paschal Mystery the Machine. Paschal yeah, mystery Father, machine. Father Quinn Mann from Green Bay Diocese. He <laughs> bought, or somebody gave him an old van and he fixed it up, took it around. I actually helped him find the orange shag carpet that was installed in it. <laughs> We went to uh, some carpet mill in Georgia and found just the but, right. Yeah, right so thing. for the listeners out there might not know this. The, so the Scooby-Doo van was called the Mystery Machine. And so it this was, looked just yes. like the Scooby-Doo van. And he painted it. He had a, yeah, custom paint on the outside the and everything. The Paschal Mystery Machine. He would take it to football tailgates and give out books on Jesus and stuff. It was pretty, it was good. It was I, Quinn, mean, I see Father a picture Quinn. of this online, by the way. It is yeah. great. It's hilarious. He was always it's, thinking outside the box. Now he's oh, like, yeah. He's so, well, well, I remember him the very first day of seminary in pre-theology. We were going around in a circle saying like, you know, why, why are you coming to seminary? And other people are like, I felt this call since I was five or whatever. And he said, like the Eucharist, you know, that was his answer. Perfect answer, right? <laughs> why do you want to be a priest? Uh, it was like this ridiculous question. He said, like the Eucharist, you know, which at the time I thought sounded kind of surfer dude-ish. Father Quinn, man, who <laughs> was so great. Now he's like venerable spiritual director and IPF and mm. vocation director and all this stuff. But he was real think outside the box kind of guy as a seminarian and probably still is. But here we are. But to your question, I mean, think outside the box. What does mystery mean? Sacrament, right? Sacrament. Mysterion yeah. is not the unknowable. It's the unknowable becoming knowable. So mystery novel always has the answer at the end, right? Yeah. But it is interesting that they, you know, that the, the, the bishops call this uh, the mystery of the Eucharist and the life of the church and not the sacrament of the Eucharist and the life mm -hmm. of the church. I mean, they're the same thing, but the, the, you know, using that term mystery, while it means sacrament, it's emphasizing the reality, this unseen supernatural eternal reality which the eucharist is but which you know 65 70 percent of catholics do not see and so i think even in the title they're trying to lead us to to see the mystery which is which is the sacrifice of christ the real presence of christ the uh who is the pinnacle of god's uh, plan of the mystery uh, revealed especially in christ and in the eucharist so mm -hmm. Well, in this section C here, it mentions he comes to us in all humility, right? So that is part of it, right? You could have this sort of glowing green radium glow in the dark thing up on the altar, right? That like fills you full of warmth and who knows what, but it's not, you know, there's this humility to it. Um, but nonetheless, it's his nourishment for the church. And, you know, something, you know, if you read the liturgical movement stuff all the time, it's always it's a corporate act. It's a corporate act. Sometimes they call it the social mystery of Christianity, which sounds like, you know, have a party. But social meaning it, it, it relates to a lot of different people at the same time. And the members, by all doing the same thing, are bound together to one another. You know, I'm three years here at Benedictine College, and I still haven't learned the fight song. I mean, it's so lame, right? So I go, go yeah, to these football games. 
And I'm like, blah, 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 glory, blah, 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 story, blah, 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 right? Like, I don't remember. And the band is playing, and they've just had a touchdown. <laughs> I'm such a loser on that. And I tried to remember it. I think I've just learned too many fight songs in my life. And um, so I'm not one, right? I'm not one with them. But it's the doing that eventually I'll, you know, be celebrating the uh, touchdown with everybody. And so doing the same thing, not only in the human sense of ritual, but doing the same thing as a member of the same body and then eating the same food that makes us all the same Christ. You know, here we have this communion, right? This common oneness, right? Unus, unum means one. So it's this common together oneness. Yeah. Yeah. That what you're describing does seem to be one of those, uh, that you're describing it in that way seems one of those things that's particularly emphasized in the 20th century and at the council and after that, you know, whether you, this is your experience or not, of course, none of us have an experience of going to mass 80 years ago, where very few of us do, is that you got a sense it was a very, uh, the mass is very individualistic type of activity. And um, that, you know, the council and others tried to emphasize the communal nature and the ecclesial nature. And as you said, sometimes they got silly, you know, just turn to your neighbor and greet them before mass and where you're from and stuff like that. I mean, that, that is not what the, that's not what the council and the liturgical movement and these other movements were trying to do, you know, something superficial like that. But to to bring uh, in greater proximity these two bodies of Christ, which is really one body of Christ, but you have the body of Christ, which is the church, and you have the body of Christ, which is the Eucharist, and that both of those are sort of, I don't know, different dimensions to this, this single reality, which is the body of Christ. And how is it that the two of them belong together and make each other and uh, give life to each other? So yeah, that that seems to be a real, I don't know, a thrust now that, uh, that you see in, uh, in church. Yeah, well, what is what is the church, right? It's the, the mystical body is the continuing action of Christ on earth, right? His body's in heaven doing what Christ does. The continuing action of Christ is the mystical body. And so, you know, there's this phrase here that comes from the catechism, the Eucharist makes the church. Well, what does that mean? Well, Christ uh, is Do they offering... have that in here? Are you reading that? Yeah, it's at the end of paragraph 25. It quotes uh, uh, yeah. footnote 36, number 1396 from the, the catechism. But this is what Christ's doing, right? He's praising the Father. He's offering his sacrifice. He's pleading for us. He's glorifying the Father. He's receiving from the Father. These are all the things we want to do. And when we do what Christ is doing, we become more like Christ because we're doing what he's doing, right? When I learn the fight song someday here, I will be more like this kind of not so mystical body called the uh, the fan base at the at the football game, but we're actually doing what Christ does, and we're all doing what Christ does as Christ with Christ, and so it's the making real, more real of what is already real, which is we are the mystical body of Christ. But if the mystical body of Christ is divided, if they're doing a hundred different things, then the church is an evident Christ's presence in the world is an evident whether it's taking care of the poor or feeding the hungry or nursing the sick. When you do what Christ does, you become the church and the highest okay. action is right. that offering of Christ. Right. Well, that'd be like somebody, you know, they're singing the fight song, but somebody's singing happy birthday and they're like, well, I'm singing. I'm doing mm -hmm. the singing. Well, see, that's what Dennis is doing. He's singing the fight song to grand old Yale or wherever it is. No, he's you just know, saying the last word of every sentence that he can remember. Of, uh, songs, but okay. But Dennis, I understand what you're saying here about uh, the, so you're describing like the church as mystical body of Christ. Well, what does that have to do with the Eucharist? Uh, as mystical body of Christ. 
Yeah, because Christ is offering, pleading, and doing what priests do, right? And then we offer and plead and do what priests do. Now, I don't know that Christ is offering, you know, bread in heaven because he's offering himself, right? And so we need this medium to receive him that maybe he doesn't do in heaven. But the point is, the Eucharist as a prayer, as an act of self-sacrificial thanksgiving is what Christ is doing. And when we do it, we make that reality of Christ, action in heaven, present, and then we can participate in it. And then we actually get to do what he does. So it works in two ways, right? We get to do what's happening in heaven. The realities of heaven become known on earth. It's kind of like singing, right? You know, if you sing the holy, 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 yeah, you're you're entered into heaven. Is that the fight bit. song of the mystical body of Christ? <laughs> it should be <laughs> holy, yeah. holy, holy. But it also brings that heavenly reality to earth. And so the mystical choir is now made present on earth. And so um, the Eucharist makes it, the church makes the Eucharist, right? Because it's Christ convecting the Eucharist, but the Eucharist makes the church mm-hmm. because the church is the one that is now known because they're doing what Christ does. But do you, I don't remember if this is in the document actually, but all right. So you have this mystical body of Christ, uh, the church with its uh, t- different cells and different uh, parts uh, and each uh, doing uh, what is proper to his or her place in the mystical body of Christ. And when everybody does that, the, the body thrives and lives and is healthy and the rest. And appears in the world, yeah. Okay. But then take the mystical body of Christ, which is the Eucharist. And I mean, is, is it, I don't know, I, it seems to me there's kind of a, uh, a pretty direct analogy. Say when that priest is holding up the host and he says, this is my body. Okay, so now you look up there, and what you see in that is, uh, I mean, this is what different members in the tradition have said, you know, each of us is, you know, a grain in that body of Christ, and, you know, each of us is maybe a scorched grape or something that's fermented into the blood of Christ, but it's kind of a, a, I don't know, a pretty direct analogy between the one body of Christ made up of many different, you know, uh, members or persons or grains or grapes or something that, when uh, in communion with God, it creates this communion with each other and comes to life and lives and gives life to those who are who are in it. But but also there's presumably uh, multiple hosts on the altar that are being consecrated at the same time, right? And so that singular host is indicative yeah. or representative of the one. Yeah, I think you know you, you would say it each way though. I mean, you you could say there's one host with many grains, that's one body. Or you could say there's there's one sort of even though it's many little hosts, it's one sort of loaf if you want to put it that way. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, 10 different Jesuses up there or 100 Jesuses inside that one ciborium, but it's right. that was a it's, big deal for a while, right, to have the big giant host the priest uh, would use yeah. and break it into the lots of little pieces. They were trying to bring out that sign value exactly like what you're saying, Jesse. Mm-hmm. But yeah. all these things are, you know, I don't know if they're exactly syn, you know, synonymous or equating to one another, but the church as the people on earth, the mystical body headed by Christ are made of many members, and they give up their own particular preference to do to be Christ, to do what Christ does, right? They get crushed, and then they, Christ is present in the world. And you have the Eucharist, which the many grains, as you're saying, there are many grapes, and then they give up their own particular reality and become this higher reality, and all and one reality, one grain of wheat. Ain't so much, but a whole bunch of grains becomes bread with the yeast being like the pneuma of the Holy yeah. Spirit and the resurrection and all. It's mm-hmm. just awesome stuff, right? So it's always well, Jesus, right? We always say this. The answer is always Jesus. But th- this this last chapter here, yeah, it is it is uh, the body of Christ, whether it's in the Eucharist or it's in the church, which again, that's not an 
either or thing. It's kind of a both thing to a couple of different dimensions, right? Isn't that, you've heard this, right? In, in the early centuries, what they called the real body of Christ was church. And what they called uh, the Eucharist was the uh, the mystical body of Christ or like mystery. And then because of different Eucharistic controversies, which we will do a deep dive into, again, in the 8th and ninth centuries, uh, some of the, the terminology changed and they began to call the church the mystical body of Christ and the and the sacrament uh, the real body of Christ. But I, which one's right? Well, they, they both are. They, yeah. they both are. Right. But this, you know, to make this connection too, uh, not just the, the words they use, but in, in the document, at least, it talks about you know, the relationship, it talks about the birth of the church, you know, when was the church born? But from the open side of the second Adam, as he lies sleeping uh, on, on the cross. And so, you know, traditionally we think of the water that comes out, that is a symbol of what? Baptism. And the blood that comes out is a sacramental sign of what? The Eucharist. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, just, I just thought I'd give a pregnant <laughs> pause for, for effect. Okay. <clears throat> But what, when the church speaks about that, when the blood and water issue forth, what is being born from that is not just two of the seven sacraments, but the church, you know, just like that first deed was born from the side of the first Adam. Adam. Yeah. Isn't that great? As he uh, lay sleeping the sleep of death in a garden at a tree. So now the second Adam has uh, uh, taken from his side, the new Eve, the mother of all the, the supernatural born living. But the point is that coming forth from Christ's side is the the sacramental life of the church and the church herself baptism eucharist and the church water blood and the church the new eve that it's coming out and so it's all related in this and so this this section about communion is this communion with jesus the head of the church and through him in the spirit to god the father but also this communion with the other you know just look at one hand and look at your other hand. They, they they work in concert with each other they're supposed to unless it's jesse's golf swing he brings his hands forward too much and oh my gosh slices. man uh, uh, anyway uh but yeah the mystical body of christ um uh coming to life they're all belong together the eucharist so why wouldn't people. you be able to receive the eucharist right after baptism you can in some yeah. churches right mm-hmm. in the eastern churches they often do Confirmation of Eucharist, uh, right at the time of baptism, little yeah. tiny spoon. We, yeah. we talked about that pipette, right? Mm-hmm. The uh, pipette for the yeah. blessed sac- for the precious blood. Yeah, I mean, in our case, it's a question of history and and just yeah. the doctrine of when is the best time to receive. But yeah, you could a- theoretically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for us, I think the 20th century kind of rediscovery is a kind of uh, early Christian rediscovery that if you are in the 400-year pressure cooker or 500-year pressure cooker of Trent, which is priests are priests, they have certain powers that people don't have. Only a priest can make the Eucharist. What do lay people do? Not that, right? And then what's the Eucharist? Real presence. It's different after the confection in the, in the Eucharistic prayer. It's not the same as bread, right? So they clamp down on this, and these are the litmus tests for orthodoxy. And then that becomes the obsession, rightly so, right? We've got to keep teach these kids these, these bullet points. Well, what kind of falls away? The communitary, you know, communion aspect of it and the, of the many members, right? It becomes individual. I do my private prayer while the priest does mass at the altar. And so in the 20th century, it's like, okay, let's rediscover what 
community properly means as members of the mystical body. And it's not just having fun at mass. It's not just, oh, if I feel good and sing songs and say hi to the person next to me at the beginning. That's not what we're talking about social. We're talking about assembling as the mystical body of Christ, each and their members offering themselves as a sacrifice in the whole rite of the prayer, which is why you come at the beginning and you do full conscious active participation and not just whatever you want until it's time for communion. Because this is a prayer of the whole church, all the members under the headship of, of Christ, signified by the priest. And so it's the source of all this source and summit language, right, that um, we hear all the time. The prayer of Christ is the source of all of our grace, right? It's Christ pleading for us, the right hand of the Father, but it's also the highest thing we can do, right? We can do what Christ does. So it's the source and the summit of the Christian life. It's the highest prayer and the source of uh source of all of her power. And that's an action too, right? It's not just waiting around to see the Eucharist at the end. It's a doing. And uh, we want to be prepared for it in part, but then we want to, in the you know first part of the Mass, and then enter into the mysteries in the second part of the Mass, and finally, you know, have that kind of consummation with Christ in the reception of Eucharist itself. So it's all there, beginning to end. Do liturgy at liturgy as fully as you want. And that's a that's a really important, not new idea, but new emphasis in the 20th century. And we, I think it's part of everybody's job to get that right as well. It's not just real presence in the tabernacle. Is it God or not? It's Is the liturgy actually the action of Christ in which you get to participate as a member of that, mm-hmm. that body? Mm-hmm. Well, that's the last, par- last line in that last part we're on here now. It says, uh, participation in the Mass is an act of love. Notice, participation in the Mass isn't just... Mm-hmm. I get my spiritual vitamin pill. We as members of the body uh, fulfill our identity. We become who we are by doing this. Someday I'll learn the fight song and then I'll be even more a raven. Once a raven, always a raven. As but did they make you wear a beanie for your first week working there? And then you had to be like, I'm a raven or something. No, the, the freshmen wear beanies for a week or is it two weeks? I think the beginning. It's actually really fun. It would be really annoying if they had to do it all freshman year. Uh, but you know who the freshmen are. You get to say hello. You know what members of the body you're talking to, and you get to welcome them into the body. You also play tricks on them. If you pull their beanie off, they have to stand up on a chair and make a chicken gesture and go, caw, caw, caw. And it's, you know, it's kind of fun. It's fun for a week, right? It's not fun for a semester. <laughs> I heard somebody <laughs> raving about those uh, traditions. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, what are we talking about? We're talking about religion. You know, that you probably heard this religio. It's to retie, like a ligature is a tie. And so we're retying ourselves to the Father by being Christ, who is perfectly tied to the Father. And that's the act of the Eucharist and not just the kind of notion of real presence as um, locked away in the tabernacle, right? Real presence is in us and transforms us. You know, when uh, a couple of podcasts ago, we talked about uh, kind of the context for this was sin, selfishness and sin, choosing ourselves. Uh, over God and especially for you, Chris. Oh, don't tell me about it. Uh, but again, this is the <laughs> okay. end game. It's, well, it's these com- are the things I don't like about. Oh, no, anyway, sorry. Go ahead. It's communion, right? And so this is what the Eucharist does in a, in a way that uh, nothing else can unite us to God. Back, reunite us with God and uh, with Him to a mystical body, the angels and saints, uh, those in the world today, all of creation, everything like that. So it's uh, yeah, it's the the medicine of. Uh, to fight against selfishness. Chris, you are smart. Mm. Glad to know you. <laughs> and 
<laughs> You're very pretty, Jesse. <laughs> you guys. Mm-hmm. I feel very united to you as members of the mystical body. You know what I'm saying? Which at. members you are? Yeah, tell us. Reading a liturgy question. All right. Do we have a liturgy <laughs> question to read? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Can we all participate in the act of liturgy question? Because this will bond us as the liturgy guy's body. Yeah, so we, let's unless do we it. disagree on the answer. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Let's do it. Mail call. Mail call. Oh, Moses. Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? In my case, sir, the question is totally without meaning. Okay, this week we have a question from Dan. Dan says, I was wondering why the liturgy of confirmation after the newly confirmed is sealed with the chrism. Uh, is Why is there this dialogue? Uh, the bishop says, peace with you, newly confirmed and with your spirit. And he, Dan says, does this hearken back to the sending of the spirit in John 20, uh, verse 19 through 22? I always wondered about this question and could not find a sufficient answer in my own research. Hmm. Well, this isn't just for uh, for confirmations, right, Chris? This comes up a lot, right? Lord be with you and with your spirit. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's 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 a response that would only be received by um, by a cleric, you know, a deacon, a priest, or a bishop. But I think, uh, at least in this confirmation part, where well, why don't we go back and actually? I mean, um, the the, the I'm sorry. What was the questioner's name? His name is Dan. Dan. Dan knows this, but if you can't pull off the top of your head, John chapter 20, verses 20 through 22, uh, this is what it says. When Jesus had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the father has sent me. So I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah, so it seems to me what's happening in the uh, rite of confirmation is this very action of Christ sending the Spirit taking place through sacramental means. So the candidate comes up and the bishop takes the sacred chrism, which he has breathed on at the chrism mass, and he anoints the forehead of the recipient and says, Daniel, be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the recipient says, amen. And then the, the bishop says, peace be with you. And the response is, and with your spirit. So it seems to me that this historical action of Christ uh, bestowing the spirit is uh, carried out again uh, in the sacrament of confirmation. So Dan, while I didn't, didn't pull any books off the shelf, honestly, it's, I've always understood this to be exactly that same thing. What was visible in our savior has passed over into his sacraments. So what Christ did as described in John 20, in those verses, the same Christ is doing today now through sacramental means, through those words, uh, through the anointing, through kind of the breathing via the anointing and the rest. So I don't, I, for what it's worth, this liturgy guy thinks the same way. All right, Dennis, do you have anything to add or subtract? I think that's uh, that's worth a lot because you're you're a good liturgy guy, Chris. So that's what it's worth a lot. And your new name, Jesse, is Tiny Tim because you always say thank you and God bless <laughs> us all, wait, everyone. Wait. But say it in a Tiny Tim voice. Wait, wait. I want to tell people if they have a question for first. 
Dan. Oh. Thank you. God. Oh yeah, thanks. You're Dan. you're ruining this whole closing, Dennis. Stay <laughs> in your lane. Did this on purpose. <laughs> All right, Dan. Thank you for your question. It was beautiful, it was wonderful. And uh, if you have a question for us, a beautiful or wonderful question, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys. Dennis. God bless each and every one. <laughs> that yeah. wasn't that was Chris, but that was a pretty good that was a good impression of Dennis doing an impression of Tiny Tim. So God bless us all, everyone. <laughs> wow. All right. <laughs> all right. God bless everyone. Another episode of Liturgy Guys has mercifully come to an end. Our hosts are Chris, Get Out of My Dreams and Into My Carsons, Dennis, Big McNamara, and Jesse Y.O.Y.O. Weiler. Our producers are Michael Don't Be So Coy and Nathan First Round Draft Pickman. Our epiclesis inspector is Isabel Ringing. Our liturgical bookkeeper is Miss L. Romano. Our official aerobics instructor is Jen Uflecht. Our enforcer of choral discipline is Don B. Flat. Our official rubrics interpreter is Dewey Neal. Our self-gift provider is Kenosis. Our simplicity enforcer is Fran Siskin. And lastly, our crack team of confessors is Dewey Shrivam and Howe. And even though overstalls become understalls when they hear us say it, we are the, the Liturgy, Liturgy Guys. Guys.